Hello and welcome to the Lancet HIV podcast for the August issue. I'm Philippa Harris, the Deputy Editor, and today I'm talking to Professor Betsy Herald from the Albert Einstein College of Medicine in New York. I'm going to be talking to Betsy about her study on a tenofovir disoproxyl fumarate, or TDF, intravaginal ring for HIV pre-exposure prophylaxis. This was a phase one randomized controlled trial which aimed to assess the safety, pharmacokinetics and acceptability of a TDF intravaginal ring in sexually active women. It was published recently online and is included in the August issue of The Lancet HIV. Betsy is one of the researchers and authors of the paper. Hi Betsy, thanks for speaking to us today. Thanks for having me. Oral pre-exposure prophylaxis, or PrEP, has shown to be highly effective. So why do we need these alternative modes of delivery? So oral uh, PrEP, as you refer to it, which is typically a combination pill that is taken um, either daily um, or in men can be taken um, on demand or just a few times a week, has been shown to be highly effective. You're right. But it's been shown to be highly effective only in specific populations. So it's highly effective in men who have sex with men, or what we refer to in the field as MSM. Um, However, the studies in women, which has really been the focus of our research and the paper you referred to earlier, um, have been somewhat less convincing. So the drug, the oral PrEP, is effective in women if women take the drug every day. But it is less forgiving if there is intermittent adherence. And this was demonstrated by several clinical trials. So while the first clinical trial was conducted in discordant couples, so that trial was called the Partners in PrEP, um, that did show good efficacy. Subsequent studies that were conducted in high-risk populations, um, just field studies, so not not known partners of people with HIV, uh, were much less convincing. And in fact, in several of the studies, there was no efficacy observed. Now, some of the problem with that was adherence. But we think that some of the problem is also that the pharmacokinetics of drugs in women is different than the pharmacokinetics of drugs in men. And because of that, the amount of drug that reaches the sites where HIV is acquired, which in women is also within the cervix or the vagina, is not high enough, we think, to prevent HIV infection. So if the drug is taken every day, oral PrEP will indeed work for women. That's important. So women should feel confident in taking the drug, but they have to be highly adherent. If they are not highly adherent, then the efficacy is much lower. And because adherence can be very difficult, um, it is important to think about and to develop alternative strategies that are going to be more effective for women. And what are the advantages of an intravaginal ring specifically? Um, You alluded to kind of drug concentrations in specific locations. So there there are several, you know, alternative approaches to... um, to, to the oral PrEP approach, and one is an intravaginal project, a product. So the rationale for an intravaginal product is several fold. First of all, there's sort of a theoretical advantage that you could deliver the lo- drug just locally. If you have a product, whether it's a gel, a film, or an intravaginal ring, and we'll come back to the ring in a minute, um, that's that's just putting the drug at the site of viral exposure, then you don't have any or you have very low levels of systemic absorption of the drug, and therefore you have very few, we would theorize, uh, toxicity, side effects from taking a drug. Um, You wouldn't have high drug levels, which would maybe prevent, if you did by accident get infected, could prevent uh, the acquisition of resistance. So there were a lot of reasons to think about going topically. 
the initial topical studies were all done with gels. You're probably familiar, for example, with the VOICE study, which looked at uh, topical tenofovir. Unfortunately, again, because of difficulties with adherence, applying a gel either on a regular basis or immediately prior and after sex was, again, difficult for people. Um, those, those products did not uh, appear to be effective in the large-scale phase three clinical trials. So the advantage of a ring um, is that you would place a ring. So this is often done for contraception. There are intravaginal rings that are approved and used frequently for contraception. You place a ring, and the ring just stays there. The ring might be designed to last one month, or it might be designed to last as long as three months. And you don't have to remember to apply a product or to take a pill. So there are a lot of theoretical advantages to a ring. In fact, the ring is what the Depivirine trial was all about. That's a ring that delivers the drug or called Depivirine, which is a non-nucleoside reverse transcriptase inhibitor. And th that ring showed partial efficacy in t two very large clinical trials. And in particular, it was highly effective in the subset of women who kept the ring in place all the time. So there's a theoretical advantage and a pragmatic advantage to a product such as an intravaginal ring. And that's why we studied the ring we did study. And so what would the benefits of TDF be over these other intravaginal rings? So again, this is based on the pharmacology of the drug. So it's important for people to understand that um, when you put a product, a drug, into, let's say, the cervical vag vaginal area, so it could either be in the form of a gel or a ring, um, that product, depending on how it works, has to be taken up by the cells that you're trying to protect against. So HIV infects immune cells, cells called T cells. Um, it infects other cells, but we'll focus just on T cells for the, for the sake of this discussion. And in order for a product like, let's say, depivirine to work, it has to get inside the T cell to block HIV replication. The pharmacokinetics of depivirine are such that it moves into a cell and then it moves out, out of the cell in a concentration-dependent gradient. So if your ring's in place, the, there's enough drug around, it will move into your cells, and if by chance you get exposed to HIV, those cells will be protected. If you're not adherent with your ring and you remove your ring, actually the depivirine that's inside the cells will come out of the cells, and when you have sex, it will actually bind to semen. It will also bind to bacteria that live in the genital tract, and so it won't be necessarily available at high enough concentrations to protect your immune cells. So the depivirine ring is not likely to be forgiving. And that was actually shown in a very early study um, that looked at how quickly the drug levels fell within cells after removal of a ring. So if you keep the ring in all the time, depivirine could be a great product. But if people intermittently remove a ring, and some women do choose to remove the ring around the time of sex, then it's not going to be protective. The reason we got very interested in developing a product that would release the drug called tenofovir disaproxofumarate, the prodrug, is that that drug moves into a cell very easily, and it gets converted inside your cell into something called tenofovir diphosphate, and that form stays inside your cell for several days. So even if you were to remove the ring during sex, which is not how it's intended to be used, but let's face reality that may happen, the levels inside your cell of the active drug that blocks HIV replication would still be high enough for several days to protect women. And that was shown in animal models and in preclinical studies. 
So that was why we were very excited about this product, which is quite distinct from some of the other drugs in development. In fact, it's even different from the drug tenovavir, which is not the pro-drug, but is the tenovavir drug itself. And the reason for that is tenovavir doesn't get into cells quite as efficiently as the pro-drug does and also can be modulated by the microbiome, by the bacteria that live in your vagina. And so there are concerns that the tenovavir drug will also not be quite as forgiving because of those changes. So for lots of theoretical reasons, the preclinical data and the early animal model data all said that the prodrug, TDF, would be superior to tenovavir and would be superior to depivirine. So on paper, I mean, you know, this all sounds great, but what did your study show? Yeah, so unfortunately, sometimes the preclinical and the early clinical data doesn't translate into reality. Um, and so we had conducted studies first in monkeys, and we actually had monkeys use the ring for up to six months, and the drug levels were exactly what we had hoped for. They were well above the levels needed to protect against HIV. And then we did a very short study in women. It was a two-week study in women who are sexually abstinent. Almost all products are initially tested in sexually abstinent women. And we found, that the, again, that the drug appeared safe, the ring appeared safe, the women tolerated the ring well, they had no complaints, um, and the drug levels, again, were exactly what we had hoped for and predicted and should have been high enough to protect against HIV. But because one of the reasons we wanted to go with this drug was because we thought it would be not only safe and effective in sexually abstinent women, which really is not who you want to protect. If you're sexually abstinent, you're not exposed to HIV. But whether the product would have the same pharmacology that we predicted, predicted in sex, when women were having sex, we recruited women who were sexually active. We actually asked women to participate in the study who were having sex acts approximately four times a week or more. And to our disappointment, and certainly unexpected, we saw that about after the first month of ring use, some of the women in the active ring group, not in the placebo ring, so women were randomized to either a placebo ring or a ring that was delivering our prodrug, tenovir disoproxyl fumarate, or TDF, we saw that the women in the active arm started to develop vaginal ulcers. Now, these were not severe ulcers, but they were nonetheless ulcers that could be visualized. Some of the women were aware of them. Others were not aware of them. And it was only detected when we did clinical examinations. But these are concerning. And because we saw this in um, eight of the 12 women in the active arm, we decided in in conjunction with communications with our data safety monitoring board and other people to just stop the study. We then went back to say, wait a second, what happened here? We looked at this drug in monkeys for six months. We looked at this drug in women for two weeks. Why did we see something we didn't predict? And we don't have all the answers for that, but I think that's perhaps the most important part of the study because it's telling us something very critical. It's telling us that our initial preclinical models, which are the same models that everybody uses, and phase one studies that are done in sexually unactive, inactive women probably are not going to tell us the whole story. And it's very important, therefore, that we conduct studies in sexually active women before we roll a study out into a large population. So I think that's one of the take-home lessons. We did go back and try to understand what went wrong, and we had 
um, samples that we had collected, biological samples, including some biopsies, as well as vaginal fluid that we could look at. And we do see that there's an inflammatory response to the active ring, not to the placebo ring. So it's not having a ring. It's not the specific polymer that this ring is made of, but it's something about the combination of the drug and the drug perhaps plus sex. There could be microabrasions from sex or something or the duration of the time that the ring was in that led to this unanticipated and concerning outcome, and that's why we stopped the study. And what does this mean for the future of intravaginal rings um, for PrEP use? So I don't think one should um, assume that because we had a problem with one ring that that means there's going to be a problem with another ring. I do think we need to figure out specifically what, what it was about this particular ring that caused the problem. If it was the drug so if it was the fact that sustained delivery of tenofovir disaproxofumarate caused the problem, then that sends up a red flag for related products, products that you have a similar drug product in them. There are some reasons to be concerned about that. There were some preclinical studies that suggested that high doses of this drug at a local site, like within the vaginal mucosa, or within the rectum could be problematic. So we do need to answer that question. But it certainly does not mean that a completely different drug product, so an intravaginal ring that's designed to deliver a completely different drug that works by different mechanisms is going to cause problems. So I think there still is a future for intravaginal rings, and I think there's an important role for intravaginal rings. Um, there are several reasons to think about that. One is that one of the important things for women is to be able to not only provide protection against HIV, but also to provide contraception or perhaps even protection against other sexually transmitted infections. And an intravaginal ring is already known to work very well as a form of contraception. It's very acceptable to a large proportion of the population worldwide. And therefore, if we can come up with a product that delivers a combination of drugs that could be both a contraceptive and prevent HIV, and that's going to be safe, unlike the unexpected outcome of our study, um, then that product could have a very important role to play in the future. So I don't think it's time... It, to abandon rings, I think it was time to abandon this ring, and it is important to find out what was wrong with this ring so we learn from that. That's the most important thing. When clinical trials don't come out the way you wanted, you have to put on your hat and say, what went wrong? What do we need to change? What preclinical models can we do a better job with? How can we design phase one studies better to find this out quickly before we roll something out into a large-scale clinical trial? No, exactly. I completely agree with the need for you know, really investigating the negative data from trials as well as the positive. Um, and so just a final question. So uh, as obviously there's a future for these intravaginal rings, hopefully, um, but are there any other forms of PrEP being developed specifically for women? Yes, and I, th and I think there's a lot of enthusiasm and excitement for some of these other approaches. So uh, unfortunately, the only one that's really being um, developed for local, the topical um, so putting a product locally right at the site of, of acquisition is, are really are the rings, as well as some groups still working on gels and films, with the caveat that we know adherence is a problem for that. All of the other forms that are being looked at really are systemic forms. So in addition to the oral prep with Travada that everyone's familiar with, 
there are other products being developed that, again, will get around the concern we have that you need to be very adherent for women. Again, I want to emphasize that the need for adherence in women is much stronger than the need for adherence in men. Not to say that people should be non-adherent with their product, but just to emphasize that it's not forgiving in women as far as we understand. So some of these other products are include an implant, which is where you have a device that's put under the uh, subcutaneously under the surface of the skin that can release a drug, and it can release a drug for a long time period at slow levels so that you retain enough drug in your circulation, in your bloodstream, to prevent HIV, and there are several of those being looked at, as well as long-acting injectables. So instead of an implant, that would be when kind of like you do with Depo for contraception. You would go to the doctor, you would get an IM shot, of a medicine, and that IM shot would last one, two, three months, again, to protect you from HIV. There are drugs being looked at as injectables, things like cabotegravir and ropilverine, as well as um, broadly neutralizing antibodies that are being looked at in that regard. So these are all things that are being looked at as we move into the future for better efficacy, for more forgiving efficacy, for um, you know dealing with the issues of adherence. Um, that will be very important products as we move forward. Now, again, we need to answer a lot of questions. We need to understand the pharmacokinetics. We need to understand the differences between the pharmacokinetics of these products in men and women. They are different. We need to understand the side effects because now we're talking about delivering a drug into the bloodstream, so a systemic drug. So these are all important things that need to be worked on, but there's a lot of exciting data coming out. Um, there'll be some, some new data coming out from some phase one studies with several of these drugs and even some later phase studies. So I think it's an exciting time period for HIV prevention. Great. Well, thank you so much for speaking to us today. Thank you for having me.